Welcome to episode 44 of the Rex Chapman Show with my super dope homeboy from the L-Town, Josh Hopkins. How you doing, buddy? What's up, pal? Where are you right now? I'm in Phoenix with an F. Mm. No, I'm teasing. It's PH. Yeah. I get out. They they get me every time. They get me every time with that. PH. What's it like there where they had the best team all year and now they are out of the playoffs? What's the mood like in Phoenix? Uh, I couldn't hear you. What? Did you say something? <laughs> uh, you know what? The mood's pretty crappy. Yeah. Uh, man, what a disappointment. Uh, just how the season ended. Great season for my Phoenix Suns. Um, but Luka Doncic. Oh, my God goodness what a player what a player but yeah you know it was disappointing you know especially based on last year and the previous year uh sons have been building so well um it just ended with a a thud uh i've never really seen a game like that in person um that was weird i mean that those games happen and it's not like oh they choked or that it's one of those when one team flips heads every time. Yeah. It just all every bounce, every shot, every oh. the worst they could play and the best they could play. It was stunning. It was. It was tough to watch. Uh, however, now we've got Dallas and Golden State playing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I really I like Miami in the other series, Miami Boston. I like Boston a lot. You know, they played without a couple guys in game one, played well. I just think Miami is two together. Their defense is good. Um, and they have just so many weapons. Um, my, it could be Miami's year, man. I, I don't I, I don't know. Um, well, in the beginning of the year, you picked Phoenix and the Nets. Phoenix and the Nets, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot one, of people would pick that. Now it's just wide open. Who knows? It's a crazy year. How about Jimbo Fisher and Nick Saban, Josh? Wow. That, that first of all, I love it. I love it. I mean, that just raised that yeah. competition that that a lot a big step. And Jimbo was the first guy to beat him, the first yeah. assistant to beat him. And now he's beating him on the trail. And 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 the, the old guy's salty. Yeah, and you know the the crazy part is that like the two guys that have been at the top, like the top top of college football the last decade, all of a sudden are having an issue, and I'm talking about Nick Saban and our guy down at Clemson. What's his name? Who I'm uh, drawing a blank on the coach dude. at Clemson. Yeah, uh, he and Nick Saban are like, I just don't, I don't know about this new landscape of college football. What? Come on, man. Come on. Now that the players can make money legally. Mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <that's> funny. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a whole new world. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, also ready? episode 44. Oh, that is like, right. It, it, yeah. What, episode what, 44. It, I, first guy to come. Go, to, go ahead. The, the horse, horse, Dan Essel. Dan Essel, 4-4. Four, four. Number 44, that's right. Uh, Charles Hurt was 44, yeah. also Kentucky uh, guy. Built out of granite. Uh, so many guys, I'm sure, uh, across sports, 44. I can't think. Jerry I mean, West. 
Jerry West, 44. The logo. The logo. logo. Um, Well, Josh, uh, you know, I'm thinking that uh, we get into our guest today. Mm -hmm. We got to let the people know what we read. Oh, that's right. That is right. Yeah. Book Uh, club. It was an interesting week for me. Was it? Yeah. I had had plenty of time. Uh So I sat down. And I got the remote control and I watched TV. I didn't really read anything. What about you? Nothing. I read, I read, yeah, read nothing. nothing. Book club, I love book club, by the way. A lot of the people do, a lot of insight. Yeah, well, that's why people tune in. That's why people tune in. Um, Yeah, well, let's get to our guest this week who I am fired up, uh, buddy, to get to guy that i've known for 30 some years now i guess which wow wow, since i was probably 20 um one of the best guys ever and you're gonna think so too i just know it and another guy that's gonna make us feel like shit about ourselves let's (laughs) welcome michael wilbon there's a pleasure man you know this this was coming at some point (laughs) and i would when i could see you even early in your career just out of kentucky and you were so engaging and so engaged and so curious about conversation. This was coming. It was coming after some great basketball to be played and some at some various adventures. But I can't. I'm not going to sit there and say I'm surprised to be on the other end of this because I'm not surprised. Man, that's so nice. Thinking back, I was probably 23, 24. I thought maybe you were 50. <laughs> oh. <laughs> you were oh, only like Lord. 30 <laughs> oh my god because i was, I was like old man the, even then rex I, w- I was like this is a guy with a real job out in the world i mean he's gotta <laughs> yeah. be an old man i was faking you know? it well oh <laughs> uh, well man what what was growing up south side of chicago well first of all uh saint ignatius high school college college prep right yes the wolves yes and i i was looking up this you had bill daly went to saint ignatius yeah john mulaney but bob newhart yes How about that josh yes josh that's Macker. great bob newhart i love bob it. newhart so growing up on the south side mike uh what kind of impact did it have having black stars uh represent uh, you know, the north side with the Cubs having Artie Banks and Billy Williams, yeah, a me. friend of a and a friend of the show, Fergie Jenkins. Fergie Jenkins. Uh, what was that like uh, watching those guys perform night in and night out? You know, it defines my life in a lot of ways, even now that I'm an old man. That I'm that I would I would take that 50 you talked about. <laughs> I would take that right now. But it, it defines, you know, like I think. There are early episodes in our lives that define us. You mentioned friend of the show, your show, Fergie Jenkins. I have, I have a couple of pictures in my house of Fergie Jenkins with me and my son. One day after the, after the Cubs win the World Series in 2016, so Matthew's eight then, he's nine in 2017, we're in spring training. And he says, Dad, we've never had a pitcher like Jake Arrieta, have we? And I go, come with me. <laughs> come with me and we walk I knew Fergie was at the spring training and we walk out and we see Ferguson Jenkins and you know I'm lucky people say don't meet your heroes I met all my heroes <sighs> I met them all yeah I met Ernie Banks and interacted with him more than once I've I in my office there's a chair from the remodeling of 
Wrigley Field that Fergie Jenkins' wife sent me. Wow. I mean, I I, I wow. interact. I met my heroes, man. I met Gail Sayers. I met Dick Buckus. I met Mike Ditka. I met Bob Love and Chet Walker and Norm Van Leer, guys, you know. Wow. And growing up, you know, you could touch them. You know, you could, you could, they could have an impact on you. Fergie Jenkins could be driving down the street, which this happened, and say to me and a couple of my buddies who might have been somewhere we shouldn't have been, hey, get in the car. <laughs> you didn't argue with adults in those days. You got in the damn car. Wow. And he took you wherever he wanted you to be or wherever you should be. Wow. And I think about the good, the great influences that I had. And it started in my home, but it was a tough place. I didn't know that. To me, it was a safe haven. You know, yeah. it was a tough place, man. There are a lot of guys that you played against and with. Daryl Walker grew up down the street. Right. You know, um, you know, Kenny Arnold. I mean, that guy who went to Iowa and played with Ronnie Lester. These are guys mm -hmm. I grew up with. And there was a toughness um, about it. And Everybody played every sport, every sport, no matter how uncomfortable or awkward you might think you were at that, mm -hmm. you had to play every sport. And I think that created something among us, you know, um, and I, it, it shaped very much who I am, how I see the world, even now, even though I'm a long way removed from it. Yeah. But it does, man, it, it has stayed with me and I'm proud that it has stayed with me. When did you, when did you, so you played all the sports growing up. When did you realize at what age did you realize, okay, you know, some of these guys might be going on and playing in college, uh, <laughs> playing in the NBA. When was it for you? I, mean, I had think? a moment. I'm tell, I had a moment. Okay. There was a moment. And I, was I'm it? scared to tell my son that cause he's 14, but I'm like, yo man, there's gonna, there's gonna come a moment where people start to separate themselves. And so, mm -hmm. okay, here's my moment. <laughs> and I, it was, it was, I think it was my sophomore year in high school, could have been junior year, but anyway, I'm playing, you know, travel team, which back then was mm -hmm. Babe Ruth League or Pony right. League, actually. Like and I'm playing and there's a kid who, my first pitch of the game, and I, Rex, I was, I could pitch, I could throw. Mm -hmm. I was not a thrower, which means I was never going to be great. I didn't know this day. I could fool you. As a, as a four, at 13, 14, 15, I had breaking pitches. That's why I can't get my arm up to comb my, if I had <laughs> I hair, I couldn't comb it. I bet. <laughs> but my arm was going to be ruined for breaking pitches. But anyway, I threw this pitch to the, the first pitch of the game to this kid. He hit it like 400 yards. He, I mean, he hit like it was a driver. He just killed it. And, I, you know, I'm like, I've never been hit like that. So I'm walking to, after the first inning, that was the only hit. I'm walking to the, you know, to the, to the bench. I'm like, who is that kid? And they're like, and he was just thick. He was like 5'9 at the time, 5'8. He was just thick, muscle, all muscle. And they said, you don't know Puck? I'm like, no, man. I ain't seen Puck. Who was Puck? Kirby Puckett. <laughs> that would be a problem. That would be a problem. Kirby Puckett hit one. It's still going across Lakeshore Drive. And so, like, years later, so, uh -huh. so fast forward. So if I was... 15 or 16 then, Kirby's two years younger than me, maybe. But I, I'm covering baseball. I'm in a Twins Orioles series. I'm in the locker room. And at that point, Rex, and you know how the evolution is because you were there. There were no black sports writers, no black baseball. Yeah. No. Yeah. I'm in the locker room, in the Twins locker room in Minnesota. And Kirby Puckett looks over at me, he's staring. He's like, yo, man, do I know you? I'm like, no, nah, you don't know me. <laughs> 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 We've never seen each other. 
You don't know me, dog. Good, good to meet you for the first good to meet time you ever. Right for the first time bucket. after you hit this. <laughs> you know, something about your go. noodle arm that looks familiar. Oh my God, yes. <laughs> and you like you the realization that Rex is talking about, but he never had to have that moment. The rest of us had to have that moment where. You know, so for me, it was on the baseball diamond. I, I played with those guys. I mentioned guys. I played Daryl. Yeah. You know, Kenny Arnold. But I, I played with them maybe every day. And so I didn't notice that as much. And, and, and baseball was my sport, man. And a dude hits one off you that's still going 40 years later. But what it, it tells you, you is we might both be in the same neighborhood, in the same age group, and sharing the same diamond. We're not created equal. <laughs> <laughs> so true. So that it's was so my. True. You better start looking at some alternative moments. Yeah, when you were you were uh, uh, an athlete, and um, obviously you, you mentioned that there was a love of sports in your family. Yeah, you 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 came up with that. When did you realize you were a, a, a good writer? When did you realize you could marry those? I, that's thank you for saying that. That that's that's what I did. I married my two interests, and I I knew in conversely with Kirby Puckett experience on one hand, I knew in fifth grade, I could do something that's so nerdy now, I'm embarrassed to admit it. I could diagram sentences back when that was how you learn the English language. And coolest the, thing ever. I, that, yeah, that, it's cool. I, I, it's coolest thing ever. Wasn't it Rex? Yeah. So you, you knew you could control the language and then you could use whatever you wanted. But in fifth grade, I corrected the teacher, Mrs. Richards. <laughs> And she so called me up to the board and handed me the chalk. And she said, all right, you diagram the sentences. I was down for that. I could diagram every, I could, I could diagram every sentence, you know, and I was not a classic nerd kid. I wasn't that kid because I wanted to play sports. I wanted to play everything. I was never last chosen. I ain't going to try to be falsely modest. I was pretty good at everything, but great at nothing. And so, but I was also great at the language and controlling and dissecting the language. And I, 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 I knew it. And so I'm like, all right, <laughs> I, I was in high school and I had a great English teacher and I knew that I could do these two things. Um, so I did. I, I, I knew by the time I was right, right after Kirby Puckett was lighting my ass up, I knew <laughs> that, Let me that tell I you could something. do this other thing and it, it could make me happy. Let me tell you something. Everyone in your fifth grade, you separated in that fifth grade <laughs> class. That was separation. And every kid in that class is like, that's that's their Kirby Puckett moment <laughs> of English. They're like, I hope so. Diagramming sentences. I don't know what a predicate or an adverb. I still am like, adverb. Well, you know what's know. funny? So my son, who's just a lot smarter than me instinctively, if there's something in a paper or an English assignment, I just knock him out with what I can still know. You know, cause they, yeah. you guys know, your kid don't think you know anything when they get to be about 11 or 12. <laughs> and I just blow my son away. He can blow me away on a basketball court. I can't beat him in any shooting contest anymore, but I'll beat his ass on a, on a chalkboard <laughs> with, with, with some English questions. Okay, you, you come up, you go to a great school, you go play sports, I just got to know, because then you get this internship into the Washington yeah. Post, yeah. which is legendary. Yeah. I mean, that's the Mecca. That's that's it was. Bernstein. Yes, that's 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 all the president's men. Yep. 
What did I was right after those guys too. Like? Robert Redford used to come into the newsroom to meet up with Bob Woodward. And at the time <laughs> in the early 1980s, you're like, I'm sorry, that's Robert oh, F. Redford over there. He's why he's just rolling into the newsroom. And it was, it was, it was intoxicating. The people who were, there were 20 interns, I'll be brief on this story, there were 20 interns in my class, 1980. 20, they hired 20 every year. And the first speech from one of the managing editors was, look, two or three of you may return, two or three. This, and, and, and we, they described wow. us as first round draft picks. It's like, my God, there's no yield. Two or three out of 20? <laughs> out of my class of 20, like 16 people made the cut, came back wow. as full-time staff writers and photographers. And like seven of them won Pulitzer Prizes, not me. Wow. wow. Seven, like seven wow. or eight have won Pulitzer Prizes. And it's like, it's a, it's a notoriously gifted, successful, accomplished class of people who did what we did. And we can sort of just look around and say, yeah, yeah, take that two out of 20. Rex, you know how that is when they tell you <laughs> how many are going to stick and you like go times times five, you know, you go yeah. times seven. And it was it was incredibly satisfying. And I knew then I was going to be all right. When I got that internship, I was like, all right, I'm I'm just going to do what I'm supposed to do now. I'm not going to worry about the employment. I'm going to do what I'm right. supposed to do. I'm going to get to be as good at this as I can be. And somebody's going to hire me. You know, somebody did you to bring me in. Did, did you have, I mean, I know like for me thinking back, being young and I had a, an unrealistic, uh, an un, unrealistic confidence. <laughs> Just, uh, you know, I didn't know. Did you have that, uh, no. Mike? No, and it's so up? funny no? that you mentioned that because you know how much TV I do not the last 20 years yeah. and who I do it with. And some of the mm -hmm. phrases, what you just described, Rex, is so, I think, unique to performance in physical performance, I think, uh, where people talk about John Barry, my man John Barry would talk about irrational <laughs> confidence. Yes, it is so yeah. funny, it's one of my favorite phrases. So I did, I tell you what, I got it early, once I was working for the Post, I did have it. I had it when it came to writing on deadline. Like there's a whole lot of people, writing on deadline yeah. is performance. You can't be scurred. Right. Yep. You, 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 yep. you got 35 minutes to tell this story of a game seven or a fight, a championship fight or Tigers round. You got 35, 40 minutes at night to write this, hit a, hit a done button, get it in. Everybody's going to consume it the next morning because there was no Internet yet. It was just us. Yeah. And so I knew I covered the Mike Tyson Holyfield ear bite fight. And by that point, yeah, my, I had irrational confidence. I, I thought. I'm going to write a better story on deadline at 1130 at night than you and you and you and you and you. I'm going to write a better story and we can compare them all because we're all covering the same event. And so you can pick up the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Sports Illustrated. I was going to write a better story than y'all. And I, you know, it was funny. There was a story in Sports Illustrated where somebody said, called me the best deadline writer in America. Ooh. And I, you know, I, I felt that I would never say it, but yeah, I, I had that at that point. I knew I was going to be better prepared. I was younger. I wasn't sleepy. I wasn't drinking coffee. I was ready to go. Like when, when Tyson bit off Holyfield's ear, I started pounding the table, you know, chanting like column, column. This is it. This is why I'm here. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to tell, I'm going to tell a million people tomorrow 
why this happened. I knew Mike, I knew I was gonna get to talk to Mike Tyson, which I did that night later. So yeah, I get, you know, now I, I say I wasn't, but I, there, there was some irrational yeah. cockiness. That's not irrational confidence at that point. At that point is swagger. Well, well, okay, maybe so, maybe so. <laughs> I like to think so. At that point, yeah, I've been doing it long yeah. enough then. But early on, man, I didn't. I was, I was, a, I was nervous. I, I, I didn't know the big, you know, you always say, you know how you get to college, you get to class, and there's always some kids who act like they own the whole university. I was in class at Northwestern with a lot of kids like that. And so I yeah. didn't feel that way. And then when, the, when it came time to perform, I felt that way. So, yeah, but it's interesting. Man, I've never been, that's a great question. I've never been asked that. And it really makes, it should make anybody examine where, what they're from, what they're made of, and when the hell it happened. So when I would have been with the Bullets, I was in my early 20s. You'd have been, what would what were you officially doing for the post at that point? So you what got was there, your, you, and, now, you, you and got Tony. You like 1990? 91-ish. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. I had just been made a columnist, Rex, and it was, it was early. I mean, I didn't think anybody should be a columnist before 35. You shouldn't be putting your opinion out there because you ain't, I hadn't been a parent. I wasn't married. I hadn't done anything that mattered in real life. And you're basically the, the, telling people how they the, should live there. And there, but you, you said it earlier, this was very, I mean, this was in the early nineties, you, you yourself and DA David Aldridge, you guys might've been the first two black writers that I ever, you know, yeah. I, I, I came in contact with daily. Rex, we were, we were, you know, I don't, I don't want to, I'm uncomfortable acknowledging some sort of status as pioneer. But when I, when I, one, when I'm talking to guys I've known forever, like you, and right. we talk about it and we talk about the dynamic and, and you have a unique perspective as a, as a white guy in basketball, you have a unique perspective of all of this. And I had it on the others on the flip side. I had a unique perspective. Mm -hmm. I you remember you remember the great George Michael. You remember you remember George Michael and sports machine. George machine. Sports machine. George yeah. once walked into a press room in the nineties, and I'm with him because I did television. Some with them. my first TV was in DC with George Michael. I went into a press room with George, and George looks around. George is a white guy who grew up in East St. Louis. I don't even know how he survived that. And George walked into the press room and said. He looked around. This is a press room at like the regional finals, right? And we're covering Maryland. And they got, you know, big Gary Williams team. George walks in, he looks around, he stops, he folds his arms and he goes, Well, Bond, where the black people in here? I go, George, George, stop, stop. We're on deadline. We're trying to work here. Where, what kind of room is this? What are we in South Africa? I'm like, George. Oh my God. <laughs> wow. And George was like, this is not the real world. I'm like, George, but this is a time to talk about this. It's not now yeah. at 1130 yeah. after a wow. regional final. But but good for him. It was, <laughs> it was good for him. It's one of, George Michael's one of my heroes. And so you you raise a question that, you know, I know there were people who didn't necessarily think I belonged in that press box early on, Rex. Mm -hmm. that, they, mm -hmm. It did. That There were people who felt that way. And I felt that I could build relationships I think it was easier for guys like Aldridge and me because in sports, people got over that stuff earlier, right? Yeah. We were all playing with whomever. And wow. you, I think that you encounter that and you conquer it and you incorporate it in sports 
in a way that they do not in politics and religion and fashion yes. and science and industry and technology and education. We have that to the point where even if it's rare, we can talk about it. So I know I've called you. I remember you and you and Tim Legler were the best people I ever talked to about the subject of walking into a gym and knowing you're different. And I remember writing those pieces and I remember you guys helping me out with that and trusting me that I was not going to distort any of that. Mm -hmm. And so I think that we get to the realness of that in the whole arena of sport before they get to it in any other industry. I swear to God, I believe that it might sound naive, but I believe that because we live together, we play together, Yes. People did this in the 40s and the 50s when they weren't doing it anywhere else. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I, that's a long-winded answer, but I, I know people didn't necessarily want me there, but I had a lot of support, more support than I had detraction. You were undeniable. You, you were undeniable. And I, you know, I know you, you're not going to uh, acknowledge much of that, but for real. And, and that's kind of where I want to go next is, I'm sure during, you know, you're a columnist, I'm sure you're at games and you're doing the occasional live hit with on, on camera. Um, but I think back and, you know, you're, you're a writer and writers at that point, they didn't really, there was really no medium no. there. They, they could, they didn't go on TV. No. <laughs> how did, how did, how did, how did that come about for you? Um, did somebody approach you? Did you and Tony get together? How did that start, Mike? And can you believe that you're 20, 25 years into no. this with, no. uh, with something that absolutely changed the game? And you said earlier, I don't want to acknowledge Pioneer. Bro, <laughs> the whole That just means I'm thing, old. The whole thing changed. Yeah. So please yeah. talk a little bit about Rex. it. You know, because okay, you were there at the ground zero of this. So in 1991, two, three, I'm not, I'm not thinking of it. No, 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 am I not doing it? I'm not thinking of it. Yeah. You know, I started doing sports reporters. So there are two producers that changed my life. A guy named Joe Valerio, the late Joe Valerio, passed away a couple of years ago. Joe was the producer who put me and Tony and Lupica and you know Bob Ryan and Jackie McMullen yeah. and Ralph Wiley and Bill Roden on Sunday mornings on sports, sports that started, right? And then, so you're getting some reps. This is all mm -hmm. about reps. Yeah, and, it is. I mean, seriously, this is about, you know, then George Michael in DC, George Michael says, you're gonna come on this show. You and Tony, two people with faces made for radio. And <laughs> again, you were there for the beginning of this. I know, yeah. you know, it's so funny, Rex, that, that, that we did not prepare for this. We were not looking for it. So the people consuming us who knew us, I remember when in the, in the early 1990s, when I first started doing something, sports reporters, I go into the Dallas Cowboys locker room and there's that quarterback. What was that kid's name? Quincy something. Damn it. I can't remember his name. Oh, yeah. But he yeah. was a quarterback for a little while. And he, he saw me come in the locker room and he said, Emmett, can you believe my man from ESPN in the room? And Emmett looks at him and goes, he's from the Washington Post. Shut up. <laughs> and it was such a proud moment for me, right? Yeah. And Emmett shaking his head like, dude. And I was like, Emmett, no, leave him alone. Like, 
Uh, and it was it was it was a proud moment. We joked about it in decades since. But no, man. So those producers put us on. And then we, you know, let's face it, Rex, we sold out to some extent, man. I mean, look, Tony and I were making enough money at the Washington Post. God knows that we didn't need to do anything else or go anywhere else. But it was a combination of that. And we knew the world was changing. And this is how we reached a greater audience. The platform was bigger. You guys could really see the newspaper thing at that point in time? Not when we said yes. Well, that's the thing. It's not selling out. It's evolving. Yeah. You guys, you, you guys were pioneers of it. We were. But you know what? Somebody puts a number in front of you and says, and this is when I understood what it was like. This is, let me tell you something. I was never one to criticize my father was one of those people that thought he would say money. My father's the son of a Baptist preacher. So I'm the grandson of one. And my father would say, it's not money. That's the root of all evil. The lack of money is at the root of all evil. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I grew up in a house with that dude. Right. Right. So, you know, so I was never hating, never disparaging athletes and coaches for making as much money as they could. That seems stupid and counterintuitive mm-hmm. to me. So I was never that guy. But when somebody said, I said no to ESPN the first two or three times. And somebody says, well, how about this? And you go, yeah. you know, I, I like, I'm sorry, I like money. I didn't, I'm not going to take a yeah. vow of poverty. I went to Catholic school, but I didn't become a priest. I, I you know, I like money and I like what it can do. Um, and so I did sell out to some degree. It evolved. The industry was evolving. Don't get, I know. I'm not sure I recognize that. And Mitch recognized, Mitch Albaum recognized that. Speaking of people on sports reporters, Mitch yep. was in the car with me one night leaving Bristol. We're driving back to Hartford to go to the airport. And we've just done a segment on Monday night. And Mitch says, by the way, and Mitch, of course, went to Wharton. I mean, you know, I, I have no such business leanings. And Mitch said, do you, this is 1996. And Mitch says, do you own your own internet rights? And I said, Mitch, what's the internet? It's a true story. It might have been 95, but Mitch is sitting, I'm driving, and Mitch is sitting here, and Mitch is going on Monday nights. He's flying back to Michigan because he was doing Tuesdays with Maury. That's right. So it was Tuesdays right. with Maury. It was Monday night with Wilbon, Monday night with me. Wow. Do you own your own internet rights? And I remember saying to him, what the hell is that? You mean the World Wide Web? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I did not have any freaking idea what he was talking about. Wow. And so I remember calling somebody the next day saying, What are my internet rights and what is Mitch Albom talking about? Well, Mitch was light years ahead of the game with an MBA mm-hmm. from Wharton. Right. And Tony and I were still trying to figure out like how to get to a studio. We didn't even know what. So we were we were not late to the game, we were just ignorant. We were ignorant. We didn't know anything. Why were you guys such good friends? It's a great question. People ask if we were great friends, and you know that we are. The why rarely gets asked. We were doing the same thing in the same space. And while people like to notice the differences between us, black, white, New Yorker, Chicagoan, Catholic, Jew, you know, people like to point out the differences. There's way more similarities than differences. How we feel about the world, how we see the world. We're both from big cities. Yes, we're 10 years apart, but the older we both get, 10 years ain't all that big. So it he's my big. age? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm going to tell him today. You said that. that will make his day. That will make his day, Rex. So we, we, you know, 
I, I wasn't playing golf until Tony sort of got me into it. And um, then we, you know, we, we were sitting side by side, Rex, at some of yeah. the greatest events in the history of sport. So I'm sitting there with him when Fred Brown throws the ball to James Worthy. Tony's with yeah. me. I'm sitting there when Ben Johnson is ahead of oh, Carl wow. Lewis, and Carl looks back with that face in, 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 in soul. I'm sitting shoulder to shoulder with him. Yeah. Wow. I'm sitting there with him when, when, when Cal Ripken passes Lou Gehrig and a woman comes up with a pennant signed by Lou Gehrig and says, do you think Cal will sign this? I've been at those things with Tony. And so you have commonality, right? Various Olympics, various World Series. People think we just cover basketball. I cover basketball now because that's what I love. We've covered everything. And so when people come up to us and start talking to us and other people see it, they're like, oh, my son will go, you know, yeah, yes, yes, yes. We're old, we know everybody. You know, he, he, we came back and said, Dad, I didn't know you were friends with Mike Tyson. Yes, I know Mike Tyson forever. <laughs> and um, so, you know, we became friends, I think, through commonality. And then Tony needed a foil. He wanted yeah. to write yeah. from this perspective and really indulge himself. Oh, no, Tony indulging himself. <laughs> and you can more easily do it with a device, with somebody that you're both going after, like in a fake way, praising. Yeah. And it sort of, he understood what he was doing. I was just the foil. But then by the time we got into that, then people bought it. People believed it and they wanted to have it on TV. ESPN came to us, Rex, and said, we want to have what you do, meaning the two of us together. We want to have yeah. what you do on, on our air. And we're like, no, you don't. You don't even know what you're saying. And Tony and <laughs> now, I wanted to live our lives. How often on the show do you, speaking of that, do you a foil have a, a topic that one has to like pick a side in order to, for entertainment purposes we to don't. debate? We don't. we don't. And I think the older we get, which is probably who knows, somebody will snatch us off TV soon. The older we get, the, the more naturally we agree on a lot of stuff. And we say it in the show. It's just that we're loud getting there. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we, we're, we're, we're cantankerous, you know, and grouchy getting to the agreement. You know, there's a lot of stuff like like Tony and I will have fundamental disagreements on maybe stuff in football, basketball. We come from a lot of the same place, you mm -hmm. know, a lot yeah. of the same place. We agree yeah. fundamentally on a lot. And if we disagree, sometimes it can be within like Tony was convinced that Philadelphia is going to win because James Harden was going to be James Harden for two more years and they were going to win. Mm -hmm. And I, I wasn't convinced. I, I wasn't saying that James was going to drop off like he's apparently dropped off. But so we can have disagreement on that that day. But ultimately, we get to the same place, which is this ain't going to work. They're yeah, going out. Right, right. And here's why. And so we get to the same. I think because we learned, like, I covered my first basketball coach I ever got to know was Tex Winter. Nice. Yeah. The Western. Tony played for, yes, played for Larry Brown. <laughs> so as a camper growing up and and he and you know he, he's in that 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 school of basketball in new york with julius serving i was mm -hmm. to julius we're in the locker room and the interview time is over i go i go doc i gotta ask you a serious question he goes what i said was tony any good when you guys were growing up <laughs> and doc says tony wasn't bad <laughs> thought, that's way too much endorsement <laughs> rex 
That's way too much endorsement, yeah, is it not? He should have said, just lie to me. Right, just, just tell lie me to me. <laughs> tell me something. You know, but, but because we oh, come from great. the same sort of, tr- like, we appreciate the same people. We used to disagree vehemently on Pat Riley. I came to his side on that. You know, there's some people that we come to the other side on, but but we don't have to, we won't create it. We won't do crossfire. Nice. But somewhere a producer interviews us to say, what's your opinion? We won't do that. Because that's one of the great things about your show. You can tell it's not forced. But some of these morning shows, we'll call them, are seemingly, they do pick and choose. And the, just like the regular news, 24-7 news cycle. Yeah. And now for, you know, the biggest take, the most bold take gets clicks and, and ratings. And I understand the lifeblood of fandom is like the barbershop talk, which is what you guys mastered and done. But now it's gone to this right. level of clickbait and whatnot. In the early days when someone said, man, I hate him, that player. It's a different thing to say I hate that player now because of the yes. culture that's created. Obviously, yeah. it's in politics too, which yep. is scary. But do you think this is bad for sports in general? It's a great observation. Um, I thought Tony and I would be passe to a lot of people because we're not going to do exactly what you described, which is exactly no. accurate. We're not doing that. But what's surprising, shocking, and, and, and gratifying is that our ratings are still the highest ratings of any of the studio shows mm-hmm. and sometimes widening. And we will not, I will not do takes. The, the phrase I hate most in the world is hot takes. And of <laughs> course, my dear friend, Stephen A, is you know, defined by take, the word take mm-hmm. is in their show, first take. Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes people, I, I'll say, I don't believe in that, that's not a real opinion. That's not a real development. Because real developed opinions include, I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Or I started off here and moved on this one. Or like you guys use, both use the word evolve. Real opinion includes those dynamics. And people don't want to deal with that anymore. They want clickbait. They want, they want sound bites. They want... So I don't know where this is. It's, it's in a bad place to me. It's in a bad place. Well, the reason that you guys are so successful is because you're unique. Yeah. In that people don't want to hear black and white, the subtleties, the gray areas where you guys thrive. Listen, from your lips to God's ears, (laughs) I hope that I want you to be right about that for a little while longer. I got a 14 year old. I got to put through college. (laughs) I want you to be right on that for, you know, about 10 more years. And I think you are in that. The bottom line is when I see and hear like, I don't ever read the reaction at the bottom of anything I do. I just don't. First of all, I'm not interested. Secondly, oh, yeah. it's going to be over the top. And one of the things I hate about the coverage of the NFL, everything has to be pronounced and declared every Monday. And it's like, it's just overreactive BS. Mm-hmm. Even from guys who don't need to do, do that, who know the game inside out, because they played it. And it's still overreactive junk. And sometimes yeah. we don't know. We don't. No one wants to say that. Mm-hmm. And so, I, I don't know where it's going. I think we're the worst off for it, um, and it's invaded our world, and we can't get around it. Do you get more, um, I guess, gratification from delivering your message via PTI, via TV, 
or in print? Writing is hard and I can't do it often anymore at the level I'd like to. That's the truth. Mm-hmm. Like Rex, it, t- so it takes time. Last right. time I wrote like on a weekly basis or like a few nights in a week was during the last dance. Because the yeah. network asked me to do it for .com. You know, I, I talked to Michael, you know, yeah. pretty regularly yeah. on a lot of things. And even he said, you know, hey, you know, I, you know, do some, you know, I want you to do this. Don't just disappear on this. Good, good. And so I did it every week. And Rex, it was hard. It took me four hours to write what it used to take me two hours to write. Or, wow. or an hour 15. I can't do it anymore because my thoughts aren't that developed in the same way anyway. Yeah. It's shorter for TV. So I like delivering them. I like writing them. I, the only thing I write anymore, and people can find it, I write obituaries. When friends die and great people die and my relatives die, I write for Facebook and I then tweet it or put it on Instagram, whatever. And I, I did one about my father-in-law uh, two months ago. I wrote about my father-in-law passing and how we met, which is, I would, I, I, never, I rarely say this, I would commit, because this the story is not my telling of it. Any, anybody wants to read an auto, out of body, out of this world story, read, read the story about how I met my father-in-law. Um, and I can do that. And I, that brings me the greatest joy, strangely enough, when people pass. I wrote about Bobby Mitchell, and John Thompson and West mm-hmm. Unseld mm-hmm. in the same column because they all died about the same time. Gail yep. Sayers, and those men were very close to me, became very close to me as first a child and then as an adult. So I still, that is what I do best. I understand what I do best. Television is what I now do. If you ask me who am I, I'm a sports writer. And you, you, you can frown and laugh because you have known me through the incarnations. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's- I would bristle if somebody said, "That's not what you do," and they didn't know me. <laughs> but for the people who know me, it's like, dude, what are you, what are you saying? What are you talking about? Yeah, well, so, you know, um, that's interesting. You say that because you are your enduring legacy will be at first as a brilliant writer. Thank you. Over thank you so a long, a, a legendary writer, and and. Mm-hmm and so respected by your peers and you've had so many accomplishments, but your legacy, as far as a pop culture legacy will be PTI. Without what question. Do you, how does that Without sit question. with you? I, 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 in the last column I wrote, which tells you how I feel about writing, December 7, 2010, which would have been my father's, I can't add anymore. It would have been my father's like, oh, it's just 11 years ago. It would have been his 85th birthday. Um, I wrote that the only regret I have, not that I could control it, because my father died when he was 60, was that my father never got to see this chapter of my life. And my son was too young to appreciate the first chapter because he was, he was, he, 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 he was two. Yeah. So to, to my son, I'm just the host of some, something. He doesn't, he knows I wrote, he sees stuff in the house, you know, stories I wrote, you know. He, doesn't, know, he doesn't really understand you covering your hometown really bulls no, during doesn't. that, that, I mean, that was, that, it was just magical. Rex, right? the romanticism he of it. 
He doesn't get it. And I wrote that the, the great regret of my life is that those two things, the day I wrote that last column, those two things were not were very much unfulfilled. So I, I, you are a thousand percent right. I know what the pop culture, any remembrance. I mean, when people come up to me now and they got to be at least 40 years old and they say, I read your column. I loved it, I loved it when you were a sports writer or, or former players mm-hmm. say stuff like that. Or Grant Hill calls me and says, hey, can you write the forward to my Hall of Fame page? That's that's it. That's it. That's as high as a cut. That's or Charles, you know, Rex, Charles and I are talking about Charles came to me and he said, hey, we need to do a couple of new chapters. I'm like, Chuck, I can't write anymore. I don't even have that talent. <laughs> Charles is like, shut up, boy. Mm-hmm. You can do this. <laughs> did you take knucklehead from him or did he take no, knucklehead? No, we from had you? it together. We both got, <laughs> hey, I got southern grandparents just like Charles, mine from Georgia, it's from Alabama. <laughs> but but it that gives me the that's still the greatest compliment. Now it doesn't mean that and you gotta be 40 plus years old minimum to I mean my last column was 12 years ago. So if you were 15, you gotta be 27. Yeah. I have kids come up and say, you spoke to my class when I was 12. They don't know. That's so interesting, it's too, because awesome. you, you, it's like you have this accidental fame. Yeah. Like, yes. You know, I was most, not looking for it. Yeah. yeah. People, Didn't actors, entertainers, you know, that's part of their gig. And yeah. it's part of yours now, but you didn't really choose it. And no. unfortunately or fortunately, there's two types of fame like that. There's the Leo fame where you see him and people are like, ooh, Leo, and they stay away. <laughs> and then there's a your fame where people feel like they know you and you're yeah. approachable in that regard. Yeah. Is that because you didn't sign up for it? Is no. that a, has that been tough? Uh, it was tough at the beginning. I'll tell you a story. So I said I wasn't going to do television. And the person who sat me down and said, okay, you're gonna to listen to this offer. You're gonna think about this seriously. We're gonna discuss this seriously. It's Charles Barkley. We're working on the first book. There's no PTI yet. And then we're working on the second book. We're in a store and we're in a restaurant in Atlanta. You guys will probably know where it is. Rex, Rex, I know you know this place. It was called the Clubhouse. It was out at the mall. Oh yeah. You go in there and you know, so we're sitting there, we're working on the second book. We got a tape recorder, got notebooks spread all over a table. It's three in the afternoon. But as you get closer to six in the afternoon, people start coming there for happy hour. And some people came in and they came over and they said hello to Charles. They were like, oh my God, you're that guy with that new TV show on ESPN. And after about the eighth one of these interruptions, I had an eye roll or something, right? So when the people left, Charles said, all right, you, you can't have that. You are going into these people's living rooms every day you are going into their homes every day. You can't have that. These people may get to see you one time. You got to be better than this. You're going to be a celebrity. I was like, Charles, that's the dumbest thing you've ever said. He goes, you're going to be a celebrity. You've got to act better. You've got to behave better. Wow. I, 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 I have reminded him of the story. It's, a, it's, it's verbatim. It's actually on tape because I'm, we're doing his book. Wow. It's on tape. I have it somewhere. He said, you got to behave better. And, and the other thing is, Charles said to me and Tony, I love you guys. Don't think that your careers as 
columnists are going to be as big as this other thing that's coming. And at the same time, Charles is going from basketball, the same transition time, right? Yeah. Charles making $3 million a year playing basketball versus a gajillion now, right? <laughs> right. I mean, you know, Charles had a better view of this because Charles was an entertainer. Tony and I, mm -hmm. we like to play entertainer. We didn't know what we were doing. Charles actually entertained. And so he, he said, no, you, you, you have to listen. So we had heart to hearts. That's why he, one of the reasons he was the very first guest on PTI was Charles. Very first guest. Yeah. And he's a large part of the reason that we said, it's time for us to shut up and listen. And it's the reason I understood that you can't behave like I, you can't behave like a guy who's writing a newspaper column when you're on TV every day. Yeah. Wow. The biggest journalistic gift from the gods was at the time you were in Hawaii when Chaminade beat Virginia. You were covering like a bowl game or something. I mean, yep. that had to be unbelievable. It was. I was covering I was covering Maryland at against Hawaii in the first Aloha Bowl. No, Maryland versus Washington in the first Aloha Bowl. And it was a gift from the gods in that there was a kid named Bobby Gunderman who broke his arm on the ice trying to board the flight. And so he had to go with his arms set. He was Maryland's starting cornerback. He went to the airport by himself because the team was gone. And back then, Rex, and this is only 1982, so it's not you were all you were you were in the matriculation line yeah. by then. <laughs> this kid had nobody putting him on the plane. He got on a plane to Caracas instead of Hawaii, and they thought he was a drug dealer, and they arrested him. Oh my God! So I'm walking down Waikiki <laughs> Beach. At like two o'clock in the morning, I'm sure it's past player curfew. And Boomer Esiason, the starting quarterback of that team, said, Wilbon, you can't tell anybody how you know this. <laughs> but Bobby Gunderman is like not here. He's in Caracas. Oh, my God. That story, I think, was an A1 story. The next wow. day, the starting wide receiver who played for the Buffalo Bills, Mike Lewis, almost drowned in a foot of water in Waikiki Beach. That's number two. The third day, I tell my sports editor, there's a game between Chaminade and Virginia, and Ralph Sampson's got the flu, and he's probably not going to play, and so I'm going to go to this game on my off night. And my editor says, you're an idiot. You're in Hawaii. Don't go to a stupid Chaminade Division 8 <laughs> versus Virginia game. Virginia's number one and undefeated. Of course I'm going anyway. I'm a hoops nerd. Rex knows yep. that better than yep. me. I'm a hoops nerd. I'm in Hawaii. I'm 24 years old. I'm single. I'm an idiot. I go to this game, Ralph starts the game. I should have left right then. I should have walked out of the arena. <laughs> Virginia's undefeated. Chaminade is not division eight, it's NAIA. Chaminade wins, the rest is history. I'm sitting there and I took my computer. I was the only guy from the mainland. That's amazing. That's, yeah. that's amazing. That's and is, Jeff, Jeff Jones, Jeff Jones, the point yes. guard for Ralph's team played for my dad in high school. That's right. That's right. Which I knew. I knew that. And so also, I mean, the people in that game. Also, and, nobody, my, you said, I should have left. Ralph Sampson started. You didn't leave a Ralph Sampson game. No, you if you didn't. saw Ralph Sampson in person, right. if you that's saw right. Patrick Ewing in person, right. that hey, was an event. How about this? Speaking of journalistic dream. So that year, the year that Ralph was a senior, guys, I got to watch. Ralph, it's within a hundred mile radius. I could go see Ralph one night, Patrick the next night, 
David Robinson the next night. Wow. All right. I could I could see all three of those guys, not to mention Reggie Williams, who was at the number three pick at Georgetown, even though his pro career didn't turn out the way many of us thought. David Wingate and and Len Bias. Bias. Yeah. I can see yeah. those guys, Ralph, I mean, uh, uh, Rex, getting in my car and just saying, I don't know, what do I want to see? And I can they see were. all those guys play four years. Every one of those guys I just mentioned played four years of college basketball. Yes. And it, it, I feel grateful that I got to watch those guys and know them and know their coaches. Yeah. And know, I, I just, the other night, my wife who went to UVA, she sent me a picture from a reunion and it's her and Ralph. And Ralph said, you know, you, you send it to him right now. You know, where the hell is he? Why isn't he here? That's right. And so, you know, you enjoy those relationships so all those years later, 40 years later. Yeah. Well, okay. I'm sorry. Wrap up. Mail time again. I know. Uh, you've been to so many events live. You've watched them courtside. I can't. What is apples and oranges? Really tough question, but one or two that really stand out to you. It's I do have apple. to say, I was at the Rose Bowl, USC, Texas, yeah. and yes, I was at I Villanova, was at Georgetown. I've been at all the I've been at all the all the Michael shots, all of them, except oh, the wow. one over Elo. All the other ones I was at. I was at I've been at everything. I was at the ear bite fight, Mike, for God's sake. Yeah. But I was at Ray Leonard. I mean, you know, I was at I was oh. there the night Joe Theismann's leg was broken. Oh, and had to go to the hospital to try to talk to Joe, which of course he did. I've been in a lot of stuff, but the thing that stands out most of all, Kathy Freeman winning the 400 in Australia at the Sydney Olympics in 2000. And I can't go into it because it'll take a whole podcast, but it's the only night I've ever had tears bouncing into my keyboard. And, And her being the face of the Olympics, being an Aboriginal woman, who was shunned early in her career, who won the 400, who was the most elegant, greatest spokesperson, beautiful in all the ways we associate the word, physically in spirit, in generosity. I got to know her later because she read what I wrote. I never, I, you, wow. know, you don't think anybody's gonna read what you write. And this was probably pretty gushy for me, given what she accomplished. But I did write about who she was and all that, but I had never met her. I talked to people who knew her, her, her folks. Her, and then at the next Olympics in Sydney, I mean, in, in Athens, she came up to me and jumped on me and hugged me and started crying. Oh. And I'm like, you, you must not know. You got the wrong person. You don't know who I am. <laughs> oh. She goes, I read every freaking word you wrote about me. That's, oh. And we that's became beautiful. pretty friendly. That's the best. And, uh, that's, that's the best. She, that's, and people think I'm going to say something with Jordan or I'm going to say something with, uh, look, the Cubs may have pulled even with that because <laughs> I was there in Cleveland that night speaking up. But Kathy Freeman, I didn't cry the night the Cubs won. People might think I did, but I didn't. <laughs> the night that Kathy Freeman won, I sobbed in a way I couldn't control. That's great. Fantastic. And a story I would never, never thought yeah. of. Yeah. Okay. In a room full of celebrities, big time celebrities, who gets the most, oh shit, look who just walked in. Uh, Jordan or Obama? And Tony would say, there's one table in, there's two tables available in a restaurant in Chicago, five-star restaurant. Who gets the table? Oprah, Ditka, or Jordan? And I'm like, Tony, I'm going to tell you who doesn't get the table. 
Oprah never did a show that said when she wore something across her chest that said Chicago. Ditka and Jordan did. So Oprah is going to be shown the door. I know a lot of people don't want to hear that. And people who are general observers and obviously Oprah's as iconic as those figures, not in Chicago, she's not. She ain't raise any banners in Chicago. <laughs> okay, the other two guys raised banners, Ditka as a player and a coach, and Jordan six of them. So there's no contest for people who are from Chicago and understand the dynamic. Obama, wow. I, I was once in a room right before he announced he was running for president. It was a fundraiser. I'm in a room in Washington where Barack Obama and Ernie Banks are in the same room. Wow. I, of course, go over to my childhood idol, Ernie Banks. The jersey on our backs said Ernie Banks Ford. He sponsored my Little League in part. Oh, Without great. Ernie Banks' money, we may not have a Little League. I walked over to Ernie Banks and my wife who was in the room and writing a check to Obama says, or whomever's got holding the checks, she says, Barack Obama and Ernie Banks were the same room and you were like one of three people with Ernie Banks. And I said, and I will tell Barack I was with Ernie Banks and he will understand that. <laughs> Which of course he does. And since yeah, then, since that time, I've, I've become gratefully, gratefully, pretty damn good friends with the 44th president of the United States. Wow. And he wow. would and does understand that even though he's a White Sox guy, God help him. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, you know, it, it, it's Jordan and Obama. I think it's Obama. Okay. I think, All right. wow. Uh, um, Mike, real well, we got a couple, we got to ask you a regular question. Oh, what's your favorite movie? Ordinary People. Whoa. It's, it's nobody else's famous movie. Where is it set? It's Love set it. in Chicago. It stars one of the favorite women of my life and one of the important female well, actresses, but she did other things. Uh, Mary Tyler Moore, when she was America's mm. sweetheart coming out of Dick Van Dyke and the Mary Tyler Moore show, she goes on the big screen of Ordinary People and she's hated within 30 seconds. It's a, it's, a, it's a movie that no one thinks is a great movie except me, except it was nominated for Best Picture and it won like mm -hmm. 10 Academy Awards. And I say to people, what do you mean you don't think it's a great movie? It's nominated more than anything. <laughs> it's like the only thing with more nominations is The Godfather. And people look at me when I say ordinary people. And it's also about brothers. And my yeah. brother is my best friend. With, with, and that's yeah. no disrespect. And my wife's heard me say it enough where she understands it. And she understands the relationship. It's about brothers and one being able to hold on at sea and the other one not being able to hold on. And so it's about brothers. It takes place in Chicago. It involves Mary Tyler Moore. Uh, it's my favorite movie. All right, what about Beautiful. sit down for dinner, anyone dead or alive? There's nobody dead. I mean, dead would have to be, okay, Jackie Robinson. Although that, 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 that dinner might anger me more than anything else. Yeah, yeah. It might. I've been lucky. I've been able to have dinner or breakfast mm -hmm. with all the people I ever wanted to. That's in, in, well in sports and even some in entertainment. You know, even some in entertainment, like to get to know Samuel L. Jackson and Denzel Washington. I, I'm, I, I've been very, very lucky. I, I had many lunches with Red Auerbach. Oh, many, man. many lunches with Red Auerbach. I used to talk about grateful because uh, he lived in D.C., which people didn't mm -hmm. know. He was That's coaching right. the Boston Celtics. He lived in D.C. in a hotel the whole time. The whole time. But if Jackie Robinson and Babe Ruth would probably be on that list, no. 
an ex-president, I, you know, I mean, that'd be easy to say. I played golf with an ex-president, the, the one that I know best. And so I don't have to sit there and say yeah. that. And yes, I've had dinner with him. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, you know, and if I, if I, if I, you can't say what you would have, what I would have said 30 years ago, which would be like Raquel Welch, Pam Greer. <laughs> can't do that because you'd be like an idiot now. You right. can't say that anymore. Yeah. <laughs> you can now gain a glimpse into the real me and see who I would have for dinner. I just I told like, you two of them. Welch, Pam Green. Anybody that like that, too damn bad. Well, um, that it. would be my, my dinner group. Front row uh, center, any enter- entertainer, dead or alive? Ooh. Maybe Richard Pryor. Ooh. But then again, Sinatra. Mm. I, you know, I've been lucky... Michael Jackson, who I never saw perform outside of mm-hmm. a live sport thing. I saw him at the Olympics and I saw him at like Super Bowl. Sinatra. I mean, oh, wait, I forgot. Marvin Gaye. Oh, there you oh, go. Oh, yeah. Perfect. There you go. There you Marvin go. Perfect. Hey, Mike, who's winning the final? I'm going to go with Golden State. Okay. I think Golden State could beat Miami. I think Miami's going to be up. The Celtics got to a bad start with those injuries and absences. Rex, who you pick? What do you think? Uh, I got Golden State as well. I, I was going with the Suns. I was going with the Suns, of course. You and me but, both. Uh, I think it's Golden State. You guys, this was this is this is awesome. So great. I Thanks I'm, for doing I'm this. Honored, honored. Oh, do it. We are. We're so lucky. Uh, Thanks, much buddy. Lucky. All right. Get well soon. We'll see you on I will. TV. I promise. You. All right, buddy. All right. Be good. Talk to you. Thanks, Mike. Mike Wilbon. Gosh. Michael I mean, you Ray can Wilbon. see he he. Not only he does this all day, and he loved doing it. Now the passion, because yeah. he was like, "Let's do! I love this. Really, this is what you do every day. I would think you would hate this. You'd just uh-huh. be." But that's why he's so great. I mean, it's just so natural. He's just such a natural storyteller. Like we talked about the other day with Jay Billis, an articulate thinker. You and I, we're all um, uh, um and. Thoughts all over the place. They just succinct, just great, great storytellers, great minds. And, and to know, because he didn't know and he didn't go into to you know on camera stuff. But a lot of writers go into writing because their brain won't process the language verbally right. quickly enough for that. But when it gets to their hand, they're brilliant. And. He's got both. I mean, yeah. and that's, people don't understand that's, you know, that's a switch hitter. That's a multi-talented. That's, yeah, that's and you amazing. Know, he, he said something that I hadn't really thought about. He, he said that he knew he was a great crunch time deadline writer. Mm. And, and it, and it also makes a bit more sense because as you know, like taping something and doing it live, two totally different uh, preparations yeah. Yeah. and it's a different mindset. Um, and he knew though, that he could, he could do the stuff in a pinch and under a crunch. And he's, yeah. you know, now he does it on, you know, all the main games and everything. He's, right. he's a live guy, which is, uh, yeah. which is amazing. I could have talked really? to him for two more hours. <laughs> I almost made us my, my bad, my bad. All good, buddy. All right. Wait, well, uh, Let's get on out of here. And uh, that was Mike Wilbon. We'll be back next time for episode 45 of the Rex Chapman Show with super cool Josh Hopkins. 
powered by basketballnews.com.